Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in five, four, three, two, one. show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Thursday edition, going to treat it more like a libations Thursday edition, kind of a meandering edition. Who am I kidding? They're usually meandering. But a couple things here. First of all, we got to give up a lot of love to Director Matthew. He's producing from the house today. I'm at the house today for a very specific reason, because now he's got COVID. Sorry, I put your business out there, Matthew, but it's all right. Everybody gets it. We all got the COVID. You probably got it from me. You probably got it from me. <laughs> if you're watching on Warchan TV, then you can smile at the video that was just, but it was your turn. Just like it was my, neither one of us have had it. And we got it both within two weeks. I don't think I gave it to you. We both had good runs, but we finally. It's funny you look at it that way because, well, this is the first time we've had it that we know of. So admittedly, like everybody else, once COVID happened, you can no longer view a normal cold the same way you used to. Like now, if you get a cold, you're like, ooh, I think I got the COVID. You know, it's just, that's just like immediately the first thing. And I don't know, I was sick last year during the spring game or just before the spring game, if you recall. I, I was knocked out. I could not go and do that thing. And I tested myself three times over and never tested positive. I was sure I had it because it was really hardcore, but I tested negative. I don't know. This last time, I definitely tested positive, and you have too. So I want to commend you for producing today's show, uh, sort of a makeshift show. There will not be a Libations Friday show, so today is a Libations Thursday. And a couple points of content here. You get today's show, but also on warchant.com, Ira's new article, uh, a 321 talking about the preparedness of Florida State and the administration for what comes next and the landscape of college football. A lot of talk about that today on the show. That's really kind of the omnipresent thought we're having right about now. How could it be anything else? When's the next big thing going to happen? 
Um, how soon will we know how these moves are affecting Florida State and what possibilities, what doors they open, if any, for the ACC, for the member institutions that are not part of currently the Big Two, as it's known, the SEC and the uh, and the Big Ten. And of course, if you want to ex- extrapolate that out further, it's really more about ESPN and Fox and others that will be gobbling up uh, the rights to live sports. Who gets what? I mean, CBS is going to try to get back into play, obviously. Uh, you know that uh, Apple, uh, Netflix, Amazon, all of this, um, you know, there's going to be a landing spot for these teams that don't get into the big two. But to be sure, we want to be part of uh, those two conferences, at least as it stands now, because obviously that's where the money is at. So, day, uh, whatever this is, post-USC, UCLA, announcing that they were going to the Big Ten, uh, I don't know that until we kick the football off, or at least until practice starts for Florida State, which is a couple weeks from now, guys, um, you know, until that happens, I think this is the only uh, overriding subject matter that people are going to really want to delve into on a daily basis. I mean, you're probably going to get tired of, of listening to me talk about it. Um, I'm probably going to get tired of talking about it, but it's not lost on me, the importance of it. And you know, people, you know, I, I said it on yesterday's show, say it again here today. Nobody likes to be in limbo. You can deal with bad news. You can deal with circumstances that are less than ideal. You can deal with tasks that you don't want to perform, that you don't want to do, but are necessary. They're a means to an end. It's um, not unlike when you were a kid you didn't want to do all of those chores, but you were rewarded for doing all of those chores. Perhaps you mowed the lawn and you got 10 bucks. That's what I did. Um, or you cleaned your room and you did this and this, and that allowed for an allowance, which meant that you could go do things with your friends. And so while you did those things, you thought this sucks, but I got to do these things because I want to ultimately get the reward of going with my friends to do these other things. Well, I mean, I, I, I think that we, we sit around kind of talking about what's going to happen on a daily basis until we hear the news of what's the other shoe going to drop. Well, for now, let's just tidy up here. Let's get our house in order. Let's get everything going in the right direction. We'll talk about the actual football here soon enough, but let's make sure our ducks are in a row so that ultimately we're in a position. And that's what we want to know is happening. That we're in a position to succeed. We're in a position uh, to, to, to make the best of an otherwise difficult situation. Uh, I do like knowing that, you know, it's not just us in this difficult situation, that we're a we're a major brand and that the other major brands in this conference feel the same sort or, you know, are, are uh, addled with the same sort of um, angst uh, that we feel, because I think that probably puts them in a position to maybe uh, align themselves and, and perhaps make this a, a, a weightier endeavor, uh, maybe with a little bit more influence. It, it, there, there's a there's a thought that if Florida State and Clemson and Miami and North Carolina were to join forces, if you will, and put pressure on the ACC, um, that, that maybe something could be worked out. I don't know what is or is not true. I do know that behind the scenes, these are the same sort of talking points, the negotiations, uh, the wranglings that we talk about on a daily basis on this show that are happening behind the scenes because uh, the difference between the conversations we're having here, which is largely speculative and also reactionary to the news of the day, whether that's out of the Big 12, Pac-12, Big 10, SEC, you name it, um, the difference is our conversations are a reaction to that. But meanwhile, 
while they are reacting to that behind the scenes in the upper brass of the administrations, they have lawyers involved in their conversations telling them what they can and cannot do. And, and attorneys debating what is possible and what, what, is, what, what you can and cannot do. So um, I don't know how quickly, my point is, I just don't know how quickly that gets resolved. Uh, there, there is great hope that uh, it is sooner rather than later. Also, to mention content again, top 40, we did 6 through 10. It'll be up later today on the website, warchant.com, 6 through 10. I can tell you that I thoroughly enjoyed talking about Tatum Bethune. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed talking about uh, – there's three offensive linemen on this. I'll give you that hint. Um, but this is a group that I think is uh, almost certain to excel this year and be a big catalyst for Florida state's turnaround. If in fact, Florida state's going to end up winning eight, nine games, it's going to be because these guys play a huge role. Um, and, and it's not surprising that the names were what they were. Go watch that today on warchant.com. I was reminded of something today. I will tell you that it's another little kernel of uh, positivity here for you. Not that you need it because I can be negative when I need to be, uh, but, but rather, Dylan Gibbons last year, when you think about his play, I thought of two things. He came into the season pretty out of shape. I mean, when he arrived here, he, in my mind, was sloppy. Needed to get a lot better conditioned if he was going to contribute. We ended up having to play him because Florida State's offensive line is not good, and he represented uh, a pretty decent athlete for his size. But as he got in better shape, somewhere in the neighborhood of week three, week four of the season, he had kind of begun to show you that he had transformed, lost some of the ugly weight, and become even better athletically than he was when he arrived. But also remember the second half of the season, uh, there's a big chunk of that part of the season where he wasn't entirely healthy. And yet, I think it's unquestionable that he was our best offensive lineman. Well, I'll tell you, in the spring, he was in great shape. And he was destroying people. He's going to have a big year, guys. He's going to have a big year. I think he he kind of meets that criteria that a Robert Cooper meets. And a few other guys that are in position to get paid. These are guys that have an opportunity, if they have great seasons, uh, to, to, to help, again, change Florida State's fortunes on the field, but change their fortunes as well in the way of an NFL contract. I think Robert Cooper can do that. I think Dylan Gibbons can do that. I think Robert Cooper has a chance to get drafted a lot higher than we would have projected just a year and a half ago. He had a great season last year. He's in even better shape this year. He is hungry. It's a get-paid season. It ought to be really interesting to watch him play this year. I don't know how many snaps. That's the whole thing. You talk about how many snaps are you out there for because if he's in great shape, and for him it's all relative. Obviously, he's a big man. When he goes, when he really goes, when he goes hard, he can dominate. He can really dominate. So I guess my point would be that, A, that list is up. That video will be up later today for more content for you. It's always fun to talk about these guys. But then my other point is that I realized in this exercise of doing the top 40 again this year, I've said it a lot. I'll say it again here. That roster is better. For as much as we're complaining about recruiting, between the transfer portal, player development, and a couple of hits in recruiting, you know, they got to do better in recruiting. I'm not going to argue with with you on that. I, I'm not in disagreement there. I, I think there are some mitigating factors right now um, that really kind of have them recruiting to some extent with one arm tied behind their back. Don't want to get into all of that. 
suffice to say they got to win some games to change minds and change um, the possibility of garnering more interest from some of the better players in this state. I have more on that today uh, regarding the big three and recruiting in the state of Florida and issues uh, with uh, the best talent in the state leaving the state pretty consistently over the last number of years, hence the downfall of the big three and, and, and other items. But the point is, that roster is better. Florida State, Mike Norbell and staff, despite their shortcomings, despite the, the lack of on-field success, it's better. It is better than it was. And this exercise of doing the top 40 kind of, I, I think, lays that bear in a good way. All right, we're just getting started. Thanks for being with us. Jeff Cameron, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply the jeff cameron show is a production of the warchant.com multimedia network Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk answer this one this is good <laughs> jeff one of the best balsamic wednesdays i've ever heard in a while hour two was lit that according to joe on twitter it's not balsamic wednesday <laughs> it's balls mcwednesday and even that's not what you think it is. I do. Okay. It's time to revisit this. I will answer this. I, I have to remind myself that I've been on the air, I guess for 23 years. Matthew, how old are you? <laughs> I'm 26. You were three when the Jeff Cameron show broke on the airwaves, buddy. Three. Well, over the years, we've amassed any number of uh, sayings or uh, audio clips that we use on repeat that we like, sounders from the show. And I get asked a lot. I never thought this would happen. It's a little bit like how the animals of Section B get asked a lot about why they sing O Canada. And like a myth grows over time and it becomes all of a sudden, depending on who you're asking, there's... 10 different stories as to how they arrived at doing that. I remember it being my first producer, Dina Davis, uh, and I, uh, somehow we were talking about ball sports, baseball, basketball, tennis, soccer, you name it, right? Um, 
all sports on a Wednesday. And it literally was just me blurting out, my goodness, it's just a balls McWednesday. And I really don't, I kind of don't know why I did it. It was just sort of uh, tongue in cheek or a joke of some kind. But for marketing purposes or the ability to sell the show or segments on the show, I remember I was asked by the late, great Lee Bowen, do we have things that you could do? So people who go way back and listen to the show and remember uh, it, its its origins will know that we, uh, because I was doing the morning show, the reality was that people constantly, well, at least the thought was, that people wanted to know the time because they're rushing into work. They needed to know what time it was a lot of times. Now, I always thought this was stupid because every car, even 22, 23 years ago, has a clock in it. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not like you get in the car, oh my God, and wore watches. Didn't really exist. Cell phones didn't really exist. So there was a time where uh, everybody wore watches. And um, I thought, I, I'm not going to constantly say the time. And so what he did was he's, you know, he said, well, well how, it has to get done. So I said, anybody that calls the show has to give me the time. They would say, hey, Jeff, it's um, uh, just playing gym. It's uh, 6.42 a.m. And I'd say, uh, damn Skippy, old school. Later on is what I would say, old school. But damn Skippy is what I originally said. And then he would ask his question. So that was one thing that you could monetize. But then we started to try to monetize days. Balls McWednesday stuck. So it's not balsamic. It's Balls McWednesday. And then we thought we could get played against sports or anybody that sold sporting goods equipment to sponsor the show. I'll tell you a funny story. And I got to give credit where credit's due because, and, and this is a chance for me to give a quick shout out in a roundabout way. And I'm just reminded of this. And I probably don't do enough of this and I should. And I don't want to go too down, uh, too down, too, too down deep into this because I'll get sad. Um, but a, a shout out real quick uh, to Janine. Janine, you know who you are. Um, Janine is uh, was uh, the owner of um, uh, Bagel, uh, the Bagel Market uh, Bistro uh, out here on the north side of town. It just closed down, unfortunately. But some of my earliest remotes, and I just found this tape the other day. I was, I did a remote at Brugger's Bagel, Bagels, and she used to be the manager at Brugger's Bagels. And she always ensured that we had the best setup and we would come and do shows from Brugger's Bagels. And she learned how to run that place uh, from top to bottom uh, and then set out on her own path and, and started uh, the, the bagel market. But the point is, uh, I'm sorry to hear about that place closing and I wish you well, Janine, but I found the other day trying to organize all the stuff from the shows over the years. And I found all of these promotional items, all these different things. This is crazy, Matthew. I found my first ever, I, I even posted it on Instagram. Um, first game I ever called play by play for was, uh, an all-star game for 13-year-olds in baseball, and I found my pass, and it just says Jeff Cameron, uh, radio announcer. Very simple, right? That's what it should just say on my grave. Um, and and I, and it was like, and what was weird is I looked at that and I felt nervous all over again. But I can't believe I was nervous about play-by-play -play for 13-year-olds. 
<laughs> but I was. Um, anyhow, in going through all this promotional stuff, all these items, I found all these cool interviews that I had done and on things that no longer we utilize, like DAT tapes. I don't know if you remember, Matthew, have you ever seen miniature CDs? Have you ever seen a mini CD? No. I'll have to bring it in and show you. We For about a minute, that technology was utilized. Not very long, but it was where you had mini discs, they called them, and you recorded on them. I don't know why we thought that was the coolest thing in the world, but they were. Uh, we, we had these uh, different means of recording, and that tape was a big one. But I found an old DAT tape from, um, from a Brugger's Bagels broadcast that I did that had me talking to uh, David Ross in the Brugger's Bagels while he was a player with the Dodgers. <laughs> like, that's crazy. So David swung past the Brugger's Bagels because he heard us doing a live show and that Janine had all these promos where if you came in during the Jeff Cameron show, it was like buy one bagel, get one free. So yay Janine for that because it lured David Ross into the Brugger's bagels. And here, here he is backup catcher to Paula Duca. I think it was at the time. Remember that name uh, for the Dodgers comes in. He's like, Hey man, I've always liked your show. I'm gonna, and he sat in there and talked to me and I have that somewhere on tape. I've got to put together these. I don't know why I'm just prattling on about the history of the show. But it has something to do with you guys calling it, or that guy calling it Balsamic Wednesday and the origins of these things. But I can still remember that, that it was just me blurting out Balls McWednesday. That's all it was. It's not Balsamic. And then there's Redemption Thursday, and that was my love. That was born out of my love of gambling and my love of betting on football. And, oh, by the way, do you really realize, and Libations Friday is self-explanatory, but if you marry those two, if you think about that right now, Redemption Thursday, we're not that far away. We're not that far away, kids. Redemption Thursday is on the horizon yet again. Get your numbers in order. Libations Friday, we always have a Libations Friday fest, remember. And we've got to figure out how we're going to do it this year. It's a show. It's a, it's a listener appreciation party. And that is always one of my favorite events. But because we played Duquesne this year, you're not exactly going to have it the Friday before you play Duquesne, I don't think, because I don't know what kind of draw Duquesne's going to be with us playing LSU the following week in New Orleans. And I don't want to do the listener appreciation party in New Orleans because not everybody can make that. So maybe we'll have to do it for the first big home game. I don't know. Maybe we'll do it for a watch party. Maybe the Louisville Friday night game. If I don't go cover that and we stay in town, we could do it. That You guys offer up suggestions to Tom and myself as to what we should do for the listener appreciation party that is usually held on a libations Friday, or it's kind of carried over onto that Saturday, whatever it might be. We've got to figure something out because the time is nigh. Get your coolers together. Make sure that everything's in working order. Tailgating is about to begin. Football is nearly here. Yay. It's the Jeff Cameron show. 93, three real talk radio war chant TV. The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. I watch the rain and settle in, disappear for days again. Most of us were staying in, lazy like the sky. Letters flew across the wire, filtered through a million. 
guys have been reading, uh, I'll give Matt Baker credit. He's doing a, a piece for the Tampa Bay Times right now that might interest you guys. Uh, it's called Inside the Collapse of Florida College Football's Big Three. Uh, it's, a, it's a three-part series. And, and, and basically, uh, the, the sub-headline uh, is, uh, How do the Gators, Seminoles, and Hurricanes go from Big Three to Broken? And he was talking about the glory days of Florida's big three. The Florida State Florida game has been hard to stomach lately. From and he points out, and, and Corey Clark has pointed this out a lot too, that there ought to be a 30 for 30 on this this rivalry. Uh, because from 1990, for example, to 2000, every matchup between Florida State and the University of Florida was a clash of top 10 teams. Think about that. Every time they met, both in the top 10. Six of those 10 times, both teams were in the top five. It does seem like light years ago. When they met Florida State and Florida this past November, either team had a winning record, Baker points out. The Gators had already fired their head coach and Dan Mullen. Uh, crazy. That was the third time uh, giving the game an interim coach for the third time in the last four years. A series that once decided national championships became a series that determines who goes to the Gasparilla Bowl. That, according to Baker, is how far football has fallen in the state of Florida. Quote from uh, former Gator quarterback Shane Matthews, last few years watching and calling the Florida State game, you just don't see the teams like you used to see them. Yeah, 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 no, you don't. Same with FSU-Miami, a rivalry that had three consecutive top three meetings from 91 to 93. The only significance of their last three meetings, a loss to a mediocre rival, got Willie Taggart fired and uh, was the point of no return for Manny Diaz at Miami. Uh, Matt Baker goes on to point out, once the center of college football, Florida's big three is broken. Last fall's combined 18-19 and 19 record was the worst since 1976. Chris Doreen brings up it's been a downward spiral. Uh, if you if you go, the big three rose to power decades ago because of the right people with the right approach at the right time. What is now seemingly an unfathomable downward spiral then began with the polar opposite perfect storm. Wrong people, wrong time, wrong approach. Now, they all of the coaches interviewed for this piece, and they go through uh, the overarching themes, uh, and that is whiffing on hires. So Al Golden didn't work out. Willie Taggart didn't work out. Ron Zook didn't work out. Jim McElwain didn't work out. Randy Shannon didn't work out. Manny Diaz now hasn't worked out. One, one thing that they point out and some of the players of that era point out is that there were great assistant coaches on all of those teams who stuck with those programs for long periods of time and the continuity and the consistency existed in a way that you just haven't seen during this, this fallen era. And I think that's probably true, but I also think it's the byproduct of the era we're talking about in which people do not stick around. And the pressure to win because of the monies that we're so frequently talking about is um, is larger and greater than it's ever been. And it's only growing now. I, You know, because I bring this up all the time. It's not just that you need Mike Norvell to succeed because, let's say, you like Mike Norvell or you appreciate his candor or his enthusiasm. I, as a member of the press certainly appreciate the access, uh, the willingness to have conversations with press to, in, to ensure that we get the complete picture. Uh, he understands that I need context to do my job on a daily basis every afternoon talking to you guys so that 
even if I disagree with what's happening there, even if I think something is going wrong there, he wants to be able to give me more insight as to their line of thinking. And so he welcomes all of us in. I appreciate that. You can always call over there now and get information. So I want Mike to win for those reasons, selfishly. Also, because I'm an old, I want Mike to win. But I also don't want to start over because when you do, you start from scratch. And every time that we have to start over, you fall further behind than you were before. New coaches have to come in. New relationships have to be formed with recruits. You lose out on the next class. It is almost always a failure, uh, that first class for a new coach, because of the way things have changed in recruiting. And so that's just another cycle of not bringing in great players. Usually if you're firing a coach, that's on the heels of several cycles in which you haven't been able to bring in consistently anyhow, elite players or enough of them. And so starting over is no good. No bueno. We don't want that. We don't want to have to continue to do this. So I don't even care if you love him, hate him, are indifferent, think we should have done something else. You need him to succeed, just like Florida is going to hope that Napier can, and obviously Cristobal down in Miami, because nobody wants to continue to start over. It sets you further back. And then we're having this conversation, and they're writing these articles three years from right now. Only the list has gotten longer of impotence. How many seasons you've not been able to do what your history suggests you should be able to do in the cachet you built up during those times. So that is maddening. I also don't think that we're ever going back to an era where that kind of consistency in the state with the big three is going to be possible um, for a variety of reasons. But I do think that all three currently have coaches in place that you can feel pretty good about. Look, obviously right now Miami's got the new car smell. They brought in one of their own Cristobal is a guy that will say the right things publicly. He'll present uh, an aura of toughness. He was a lineman. He's having a splash in recruiting right now. They seem to have recommitted dollars to the program. So they're, in their minds, moving in the right direction. Billy Napier is as well thought of a coach as uh, there was in uh, the non-Power 5 schools. So there is a guy that a lot of people have had their eye on uh, ever since he was an assistant with Nick Saban. And this is a guy that if you sit down and talk to him, and if you certainly have read any of the articles about him while he was at Louisiana, you know that he has a plan. He has a long-term vision. We all fall for people, and we like to hear people's plans articulated succinctly in a way that makes sense and resonate, in a way that you can follow and believe in and trust and invest in. He's got that. We'll see if it works. Right now, it's very early, way too early, but he's not exactly kicking ass, at least in the amongst the minds of the fans there at Florida with a couple of uh, recruiting snafus, but it's too early. He hasn't even coached a game there yet. He's going to be fine in all likelihood. I'm certainly rooting against him. Uh, but, but for Mike Norvell, we get back to this critical season because it is interesting to note while we speak of the big three and the current condition they find themselves in. Uh, I would say, and as we do so, I have noticed momentum, and this is kind of surprising to me, I have noticed some momentum of thought, and that is that if Mike were to go six and six or worse, that he would likely be fired. Now, I do think the timeline for Mike Norvell and the need for him to succeed was accelerated when Alford became the athletic director. And it's not because Mike Alford's 
maybe perhaps aggressive and he's illustrated certainly a willingness to get in there and get after it and uh, make changes. The second he realizes that changes need to be made, um, you know, obviously the link Jarrett thing, the Mike Martin jr. Thing. We talked about that. We talked about the Lonnie Alameda uh, raise and extension. We talked about what ended up being at first a disaster, but then a pretty good effort to land on your feet with the soccer situation. So he has shown a capacity to act and perhaps it certainly it does point to some autonomy that he has as athletic director that previous athletic directors did not have. The reason that's important is that historically speaking, you understand athletic directors like to have their guys in place. I'm not going to have my tenure as an athletic director adversely affected, uh, colored in a way that uh, perhaps doesn't put me in the greatest light uh, because of somebody else's higher previous so now I inherit this guy and he goes out in his average. Well, that rubs off on me. That makes me look average. And I had nothing to do with hiring that guy. And I probably, because most of these guys, and you think about their personalities, right? These are people that can read a room. These are smart, charismatic individuals. But behind the scenes, these individuals have plans and they have opinions. And they care deeply that they are heard and they're paid handsomely to make those decisions and get it right. Because if they don't, they get fired. So their ass is on the line on in the jackpot, if you will, from the second they take the job. And they're not going to spend too much time being patient with somebody else's hire. So I do think to some extent the timeline for Norvell sped up a little bit when we changed out uh, athletic directors and went to Mike Alford. Now, it's not so willy-nilly because the money is so much different in football than it is baseball. So you can't just say that because he was willing to act quickly and fire Mike Martin Jr. Uh, with the first sign of real adversity uh, to go on to Link Jarrett, that he's willing to just do this because the money is very, very different. I mean, you're talking about uh, you know hiring a coach for $800,000 as opposed to what you would have to do if you let Mike Norvell and staff go and rehire a whole new staff, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's a big difference. So it's a weightier decision and it's going to probably one you want to kind of work through a little bit longer. But back to where we talk about the big picture. Um, at the end of all of this, and we'll have time to evaluate and we've talked a lot about what we think is going to happen for Mike Norvell this year, what may or may not happen for Mike Norvell this year. Not to you guys. And I'll, I'll let this marinate a little bit because I, I've always gotten into this argument, even with my family. I have extended family members. My stepdad, for example, went to the University of Florida for law school. He has a law degree from the University of Florida. He is uh, for a long time uh, has been a bull gator. He, he loves the University of Florida. Um, you know, I have other brothers that one went to JU. Other, it's, it, the point is, all throughout the state, right? So we would always debate the state of college football in the state of Florida. And you have some friends and family members that would prefer to see, let's say you're a null, Florida State operating at peak efficiency and elite status, but also have Florida and Miami in a similar sense. Yes, maybe not be as good as Florida State if you're a null, but a threat and dominant and the rivalry as it were yesteryear, 1990 to 2000, something along those lines. Others say, no, screw them. I hope they suck eternally while we dominate. And it's easy because the fan in me says, yeah, the latter, the latter feels good. But I think perhaps for brand 
and for overall perception and even to some degree recruiting, it might actually be best if we could get back to a time where we more resembled the dominant big three in the state of Florida uh, that we were so many seasons ago. I bring it up every time this subject comes up and I continue to, to, to smile when I think about it because I still have it. You guys may remember some of the older members of my demographic uh, here on the, uh, on the radio side of things will remember this, but the Sports Illustrated cover that had the state of Florida and college football, where college football dominates or lives or is, I can't remember the headline, but it, it was about the state of Florida and how there was nobody in the country doing more great things on a football field than the three, the big three of this state and how the state came to dominate the sport. And I never thought it at the time, because this is many moons ago, but when you looked at it, you felt a sense of pride. I don't know if that's a weird sense of tribalism, like, yay, Florida, yay, the state of Florida, because I don't often do that. I have to make fun of the state of Florida, especially the innards <laughs> of the state of Florida. But but it was something where you could beam a little bit, where you could feel a little bit of pride. And I do think um, monetarily, brand, you name it, big picture, long term, uh, it would probably be best if we could sooner rather than later get back to this state being uh, housing uh, three dominant programs. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the WarChant.com Multimedia Network. Check out WarChant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's WarChant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Before moving on, I want to I want to piggyback off the segment I just did. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, Orchard TV. Kind of interesting. A, a friend of mine asked me recently to go back to the Dynasty era teams. And, and you know, I was like, okay, so you want me to go 88-2000? Like, how, how, what, what are you looking at here? And uh, he was saying, well, we, we need some players that were not um, all-American, former NFL-type players. Um, and, and he needed they wanted to reach out to some of players from teams from that era who played and, and certainly would be recognizable names, but they're not the, you know, Peter works of, of the world or the Chris Winkies of the world, or, you know, they're, they're guys that started there. Maybe Todd Rebel, right? Somebody like that. I use him a lot because he was one of my favorite linebackers here for some reason, but I, it's interesting because I do, he wanted me to give him, provide for him a list of names that they could invite back to games uh, for this upcoming season, it's a promotional type thing, and he was like, "Yeah, don't don't give me the superstars. Just give me some guys that, if they were to be here and paid to be here in a box or something, people would know who they were. They would remember the team that they were on, all that sort of thing. But they aren't the superstars. And so, in order, I was kind of intrigued, and he kind of wanted it to be representative of each segment group." And I just started going back in my memory banks and I started thinking about those teams. And then that turned into me going down a rabbit hole. And I think a lot of you guys do this too. It's fun to do. I, I went from 87 to 2002, basically. And I just went year by year and, and looked at the roster. And in addition to just looking at the roster, um, I looked at the hometowns. And I started paying close attention to where everybody was from, how they arrived at Florida State. And it, it, what it did was trigger memories of when we won those recruiting battles. And I remember, this is even before I got into media, 
but you know, that's when recruiting, you know, getting that information, you could call one 800 number. And then I, I mean, I can remember the dawn of war chant. I can remember uh, my interactions early in media with Tom block and Rick blue and guys like that. And certainly Eric Llewellyn and then getting to know Gene and all these, we would sit around and talk about certain kids. And there was an air of mystery to a lot of these kids because the internet really wasn't a thing. Um, social media certainly wasn't a thing. And so you just didn't have your eyes on a lot of these kids, but you'd heard about how good they were. You knew their stats. You knew like if a kid played at Pensacola, Escambia, or a kid played down at Lakewood where I was from, or where, you know, you knew what they had achieved. And, um, and so you thought, Oh man, you know, he's obviously fast or he's big or he's whatever he is. Well, I was just talking about that Matt Baker piece. And while they went into uh, problems in terms of the wrong approach for the big three, they did get into some uh, mention of facilities, right? Uh, they talked, he referenced an article um, where there was a list of nation's top 25 facilities. Only Florida of the big three had, had what was considered top 25 facilities. And it's a subjective list, but they were at 19. Uh, but that was fifth in the SEC East and 10th in the conference, 12th if you're going to count Oklahoma and Texas coming in. And so, you know, the idea that the facilities at Florida State, Miami, and Florida uh, would, the big threes averaged somewhere in the neighborhood of between Illinois and Kentucky. Well, that's not good. That's not ideal. But he went on to get into the more important point. And people who have covered recruiting for a very long time and are better experts than I when it comes to where these kids are from, what high school coach they played for, uh, the the alliance they may have with a certain university. We know certain pockets of the state tend to produce players that go to certain schools. Maybe their coach uh, has created some sort of uh, uh, lifeline or, or through line to Florida State or Florida or what, whatever it might be, right? These are the things that certainly happen all the time. Um, and it got me thinking about the exercise I did with my friend was that going down the list of, of players – and there's so many great names. So, you know, it's fun when you do that. Like you, you come across a Tiger McMillan or you come across an Ampley or you come across you know, whomever, right? Somebody that you, you thought about their career later on, Daryl Bush, you thought about their career later on and you realize, man, they were such good players. I was thinking about Sean Key, guys like that. It's just, just names from yesteryear that played prominent roles, but they weren't superstars. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that that's where the big three are getting killed is the talent exodus referenced in that Matt Baker article. And that has been explained to me by people in the recruiting world for a very long time that, Jeff, the best players in this state, the elite players, and there we know the state of Florida is absolutely loaded with superstar talent. The elite players in this state, for the most part, went to Florida State, Florida, or Miami. January 2017, Ray Ray McLeod, Deion Kane, Artavia Scott posed for a photo together at Raymond James Stadium to celebrate their historic triumph. All three had grown up in the Tampa Bay area. All three were top 90 national recruits, and all three won a national championship in their home state of Florida, but not for Florida not for Florida State, and not for Miami, but for Clemson. Of all the problems facing the Big Three, the two dozen analysts, coaches, and former players interviewed for this series agreed that none are bigger than the talent exodus. 
It drives catapult sports scout Dwight Thomas mad. Every time I watch the games on TV, we're going to see those guys, said Thomas, who's been involved in Florida prep football for 50-plus years, coached the Gators, NFL legend Emmett Smith at Escambia High. Quote, but they ain't going to be in our uniforms, and they'll be beating us. The numbers are striking. In 1991, the state produced 15 of the Tampa Tribune's top 100 national recruits. The big three signed 13. In 2021, the state produced 13 of the 247 Sports Composites' top 100 national recruits. The big three signed four. The drain is so significant that it's drawn the attention of the governor. I don't want to see our people going to Alabama and Clemson, said DeSantis. I know they've got great programs, but I think there's nothing better than winning a national championship in your home state. Apparently not. Since the state's last championship, national championship, 2013, Florida State University, 17 Floridians have started for title teams elsewhere. Georgia title hopes began to turn in January with a blocked field goal by five-star defensive lineman Jalen Carter from a pocket high, followed by a 67-yard run by a top 50 recruit, James Cook, Miami Central. On down the list we go. And that is the biggest. And it is fun to play that game and go through that exercise that I just alluded to because he's not wrong. When you go and look at our rosters, just take the dynasty eras and go look, do what I did, go 87 to 2000 if you want, whatever, and look at those players' names. Remember what they accomplished. Have fun with the images that flash before your eyes. Remember those teams, the ones that came this close to winning a national championship, the ones who got screwed by circumstance or bad luck or weather or injury or those that got a rough call in a game that changed the fortunes and whether or not they could have won a national championship. The point was they were always on the precipice, always that close. If they weren't winning it, they were playing for it. If they weren't playing for it, they were a game away from having played for it. And you'll find on those rosters time and again, Florida, Florida, state of Florida, state of Florida, state of Florida, state of Florida. Oh, we beat out Florida for that kid. We beat out Miami for that kid. Oh, went into their backyard and took him out of Miami Central. Florida, here you go, Tampa, St. Pete, Jacksonville. Oh, look at that. They're, yep, they're Daytona. You just on down the list time and again. You look around at Clemson's teams. You look at Alabama. You look at Georgia. You look at these teams, and you realize, you know, a lot of kids just rolling on into the state, rolling on into the state and taking players away. It's pretty brutal. It's Jeff Cameron, show 93.3. Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV.